0: My name is Roger and I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, Just want to again welcome you out, man. I hope you feel comfortable. Um, Glad that you have chosen to worship here. If you're new to Restore Church, uh, one thing we're asking you to do is there's a card you got when you came in or or maybe inside your bulletin just to fill out a card, a connection card, and we'll send you an email sometime this week uh, just to get to to know you and and, um, get to know who we're hanging out with this week. Um, imagine with me for a moment uh, a young man, let's say 25 to 30, because that's young. And he walks into uh, the doctor's office and um, uh, left his wife and his kids, in the, his two kids, in, in the um, waiting room. Walks into the doctor's office. The doctor says, hey, hey man, how, how can I help you? And he said, well, um, I've just been not myself recently. Um, I'm a little bit more lethargic, my my joints hurt a little bit more, uh, and I'm still young, not old. And I'm still young, so, uh, you know, can you help me out? And the doc says, yeah, let's go through a couple things, you know. How how do you feel in the mornings? How do you feel at night? He he checks his blood pressure, uh, he he checks his heart rate, looks in his ears and and all those things. And he said, man, I, I can't see anything out of the norm, but maybe we could run some blood work. So, he runs some blood work, they send it off, and the next week, it's a Tuesday, he calls him back and he says, Hey, um, we've got the results. Would you come in on Thursday so we can talk about them? Now, the, the doctor and, and this guy, they'd known each other for a long time, and, and he thought it was weird that he just didn't tell him the results over the phone. He thought they would be positive if he told him over the phone, but the fact that he's calling him in, the young man's mind just begins to race. And once he gets in the doctor's office, he realizes his worst fears are real. The doctor said, I don't know any other way to say this, but the results have come back, and and you have cancer. Um, Basically, what he says to the young man is, uh, your blood just isn't good. Um, And your blood has been infected, and so we've got to figure out how... Uh, we, we have figured out we have a treatment plan to, to help you, and, and, and we know what to do. You're going to have to come in for, for chemotherapy for a while, and, and then th- there's going to be surgery involved, some more treatments afterwards. You're probably going to have to come in once a month for the rest of your life for treatment, but it's okay because we have a treatment plan. And man, this, this, this man, some of you have been here. Some of you have sat across the doctor to hear this news, or, or some of you have sat next to someone as they've received the news, and, and your brain, with a million thoughts that you can think in just one second, they rush everywhere. One from, uh, like, how bad is it to how much longer do I have? And so the young man's face falls. He's, he's sad, he's thinking about his wife and his two kids, and then all of a sudden he looks up at the doctor, and he smiles. Now, the doctor's surprised and he looks back at the young man. And he says, Man, I, w- what makes you so happy? And the young man said to the doctor, Doctor, I'm not sick anymore. I said, I just showed you the results. He said, No, 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 no. You don't understand. I, I'm just not sick. I, I heard what you said, but I'm not. I don't believe you, and I don't think I'm sick. Next month, I have a yearly, or a, a monthly scheduled check in, and so I'll be here for a physical. And I'll pay my copay on the way out and confirm the appointment. I'll see you next month. We can all be that guy. Now, it may not be as severe as sitting in a doctor's office and uh, refusing the, uh, disputing the results, but we can all be that guy. It may not be that you have a cold and you're like, no, nah, I'm refusing to, be, to have a cold. Or, or it may not be the flu. Uh, like, you, you have the flu. It's obvious when you have the flu. Y'all, hey, if you feel like you have the flu, um, I'm giving you permission to not come to church. Okay? That is from the pastor. You do not have to be here. Um, security. It's security. Um, but we can all be that guy especially when it comes to sin. Sin is a nasty and ugly disease. And sometimes, a lot of times, we just ignore it. You know, pride, when, when another man has pride, it's disgusting and it's gross. And we, we see the disease in him, but, but it's not in me. Arrogance is a disgusting disease. Especially when our, uh, our superior has it or, or, or the person who gives us our food in the drive through Man, they were just so arrogant. Uh, it's an awful disease until we put ourselves first. Greed. Man, it's disgusting when you see someone who's just a money grubber or he's stepping on others to get to where he is. But it's awful until we drive past the man on the side of the road saying, if he'd only get a job like the rest of us. Gossip. It's terrible. It's an awful disease until you get caught. It's miserable when it's about you, but when you get caught, you realize how sick you are. The guy with the short fuse, the husband who spouts off to his wife in public and embarrasses her, he's got that anger issue. It's an awful disease until you get home. Um, And then that short fuse in your life ignites. You see, when we pretend to not be infected, does it make the infection go away? When you choose to ignore the check engine light on your dashboard, and you're just trying to hit every pothole to to see if something might just snap back to where it should have gone, uh, does that help? No, it, it always gets worse. An infection that is not treated will get worse. And we can't pretend that we don't have it. Uh, last month, in, um, or may, was it earlier, th- earlier this month, uh, we took our staff and, and a whole group of leaders to Savannah, Georgia, to a Next Level conference. And, and the last day at these conferences, they always seem to have more meaning. Like the last final session, it all leads up to this, and you're tired and emotional and all this stuff, you know. And, and you're kind of looking forward to it. Like you're, you're looking forward to them taking advantage of your emotions and making you cry at the end. Anybody? Nope. If you went to church camp, you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And uh, and so look, they have dinner for us, or they had uh, dinner that night, and they had a low country. If you're from Georgia, it's bowl. They had a low country bowl for us. If you're for the rest of the country, it's boil, but anyway, they had a low country boil, and now we have one dude with us, he's, uh, he's on staff here for the next couple months, his name's Kevin, he's a church planting resident here at Restore, we believe in church planting, and so in September, he's going to move to Goldsboro and start a new church, and we're behind him, and we're asking you to pray to go with him, and we're asking you to pray to give money to their church, and we're asking you to pray about who you know in Goldsboro that can connect with him. Well, he went down there with us to just experience the next level conference. And, and we walk up to this low country boil, and, and he's loading his plate up, which we all do, you know, it's, it's good. And, and where it's got like uh, corn and sausage and, and shrimp. Now, here's the thing is Kevin is allergic to shellfish, which includes shrimp. And Kevin knows that he's allergic, and his wife reminds him, Hey, Kevin, you're allergic. You know what Kevin says? I'm fine. I'll be fine. And, and you wouldn't believe it. that Kevin ate the shrimp and was fine just because he decided he wasn't allergic anymore. Y'all, that is not what happened. <laughs> We're sitting in the final session, and, and the preacher's giving all he, got, all he has. You know, the worship's great. And then all of a sudden, in our, in our group text message, he tells us that the shrimp has come back to fight him. And his wife, who is incredible, Kevin definitely married up, had Benadryl on the spot and stood up and left the final session to go give Kevin, her husband and child, some Benadryl to help with the shellfish allergy. If you've never seen it before, I want you to watch this uh, little clip I have for you. A lot of you will recognize it. Uh, I do not recommend taking Benadryl that way. Uh, Man, he's such a good actor, isn't he? Um, I was introduced to this book a couple years ago. It's not a new book, um, but, uh, man, it's a great book on uh, leadership. And it should be in every leader's library. It's called From Good to Great by Jim Collins. And it talks about how to take a leader and an organization from being good to great, He gives you a lot of principles, man, I'd, I'd recommend everybody to read it and pick it up, but one of the things that he talks about, and if you've been around me any time in the last six months, man, I've been talking about this principle alone, and it's to confront the brutal facts of your organization. You can't imagine you have a million dollar budget when really you only have $100,000 coming in, right? You can't imagine that your organization is killing it if your organization is shrinking, And so in order for your organization to go from good to great, you have to confront the brutal facts. You know, you have to confront the fact that you have a shellfish allergy or that you're sick. You have to confront the fact when the doctor tells you uh, the bad news, you just have to confront the brutal facts ignoring them is not going to do you any good and so we're going to look at four today we're going to look at four brutal facts that are really going to help us bring it all back to the basics and so i'm going to ask you to find a couple passages in your bible and to leave kind of bookmark them together so it's going to be on the screens uh we're going to be in first john chapter one and in ephesians chapter two it's going to be on the screens there are bibles on the inside pews or on the inside of the pews what's a pew I don't know, but on the inside aisles right here, you can also download the Restore Church app and they'll be um, and, and you can follow along under the bulletin section. If you have the version Bible app uh, under the Live Event section, you can search for Restore Church and all of the info is there also. First John chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, it says this, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. If you're going to boil any, all of 1 John down to anything, it's this next statement that he's trying to get across to this church he loves. He says this, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. A couple or Last week we started this series, the week of Valentine's, called Love Notes. the idea is that it's going to bring us back to what love looks like. It's going to bring us back to to the reminder that God loves us. And ultimately, it's going to point to the fact that God is love. But what we just read right here is that God is light. And so here's the first brutal fact that, that we must confront is that we are not light. If God is light, and in him there is no darkness, then he is light. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we, we lie and do not live out the truth. The Bible, from the very beginning, uses the analogy of light and dark. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple to understand that light is, is good and, and darkness is evil. John uses it in the Gospel of John where he tells the story of Jesus. He, he uses it to describe good on a number of occasions. He, he uses it to describe Jesus. Matter of fact, in John, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And this is the simple message that John is trying to get across in this letter of 1 John, that there is no darkness in God. So God is light. So if light represents goodness and God is light, then then the easy connection is simple, that God is good which is to say that he represents goodness. Now, we're not talking about good like a meal, man. That that meal was good or that drink was good or or that game was good. We're talking about the, the measurement of all moralities begins and it ends with God and his goodness. So we have to acknowledge, one, that God is light, and two, that we as Christ followers must walk in the light. Now, we don't want any darkness in us, so, so it's not like you can walk one foot in and one foot out. It, it's one or the other. And, and for God to be light means we must walk within him. And so, as we're confronting this brutal fact that God is light and, and that we are not, this is, what, this is one thing that it means. I'm me give you two things that it means. One is that it means that we can trust that God, who is good ha- and who is asking us to walk in his light, has your best interest at heart now for some of us that's a hard fact to confront because we've we've grown up maybe in a church culture or we've grown up hearing from our parents or, or someone else that that God's out to get us or or that that we've got to earn our way into god's graces or goodness or we've got to be on this side of good deeds or or whatever. Listen, you are a child of God and and he has your good intention at heart. I mean he is saying like I am light, and I want you to walk inside this light, which means that we have to walk within it. Uh, we've, some of us have this idea of a mean kid on an anthill with a, with a magnifying glass, or, or God is just the, the, the hallway monitor trying to be a killjoy, but it's actually the opposite that's true. Uh, my life group this past week, we, we started studying the Ten Commandments, and <clears throat> and the guy who, who's leading it through video, he says, he starts reading um, a psalm by David, and it begins like this. Oh, Lord, I delight in your law. Um, John Piper says it this way. All of God's laws, check this out, are not for his governance, but they are for our good. I'll say that one more time. It's John Piper's. Okay, so give him credit where it's due, because it's really good. Um, God's laws, they're not for his governance so that he can sit back and keep a tally. They are for our good. It's like guardrails going down a highway. It's to keep us within the lanes. I mean, who benefits from from laws? We all do. I mean, it's the reason that you can walk down the street and feel safe. It's the reason you can make a left turn. You don't have to worry about someone going straight and T-boning you. But the reality is we've all driven in Jacksonville. And we know that that is reality that can happen any time. If God is good and he's asking us to walk within that goodness, it also means that we cannot make up the rules. Now, I, I have a, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, and they are both learning a very great quality from me, and that is compete until you die. <laughs> And so we will play games, and, and all of a sudden, here comes this new rule that one of us made up. And, and they're all looking at me like, Dad, you can't just make up rules. And I'm like, if it means I can win, I will. Uh, my daughter won in a game of Mono- or my son won in a game of Monopoly this past week. And my daughter slammed her hand on the table and said, that's all right, I beat you in Uno. I beat you. <laughs> Discipleship at its core. <laughs> But we don't get to make the guidelines. Matter of fact, it's kind of freeing to know that we don't have to. It's like a parent who's giving its kids instruction. It's not to be mean, but it's because we know what's best for them. We know what's going to be healthy for them. We know what is good for them. If you need an example of, of someone making their own rules, you just have to look no further than God's, God's first love, baseball. <laughs> Uh, if you don't love baseball, you just need to repent and, uh, and then move on. But uh, if you notice, the last two years, the Houston Astros uh, and the Boston Red Sox have run baseball. Like, they've owned baseball, and I feel bad for all the Dodgers fans, but, but they have. And, and if you notice, uh, if you saw it in the news, the Houston Astros have been caught cheating. Now, in football, it's okay to cheat. In the NFL, it's okay to cheat. Look no further than Tom Brady. he's still allowed to play. In basketball, it's kind of expected you're going to cheat because they don't even call a travel anymore in the NBA. <clears throat> but in baseball. now listen, you know that I love baseball. You don't break the rules. It's just this respectful thing that you have for the game, where you don't cross the line, even when no one's looking. It's, you play the game with integrity. And the Houston Astros have been stealing signs. It's like every baseball fan is offended. So they knew that when a player would try to steal, they knew it was coming. But even more so in the Major League Baseball, they will send in through signs the pitch that's coming. No wonder they, uh, no wonder they owned baseball. They knew the pitches. They made their they made their own rules. Aaron Judge, who is a Yankee, he said, uh, I would hit 100 home runs every year if I knew what pitch was coming. Y'all, I could survive in Major League Baseball if I knew what pitch was coming. I, I could be a bat boy or something. <laughs> Talking about making their own rules, you, you saw um, this week in the news that Facebook is on trial. Um, they're being, uh, they're on-, on trial for not paying their taxes. I read a-, a short article written on it, and basically Mark Zuckerberg said, I just didn't think we had to. All right, I really, uh, uh, well, you're about to learn that you do. Uh, There is a player from the Cleveland Browns. Any Browns fans in here? Don't raise your hand. I'm sorry for you, but the Cleveland Browns, my man's making $15 million a year. I will never see $15 million in my lifetime. He makes $15 million a year, and this past week, he got pulled over and got caught with 157 pounds, not ounces, Pounds of marijuana in his car. Brother, what are you doing? You know, there's times where we just live above the laws, where we think it's best for us, but God's goodness, God's light is what tells us what's good um, and it gives us freedom. What John just also told us is that we cannot desire to walk in the darkness. God's laws are for our goodness, and we have to desire to walk in goodness, to have fellowship with God. We have to desire to want to live in the light, not to want to be out there and then come into the light for our weekly checkup when we come to, you know, on Sunday. Actually, Paul says in Romans chapter 7, he said, it's good. The law is good because it points me to to where I'm breaking God's heart. Uh, In October, we're going to do a marriage series, and and I haven't written it, but I know what I'm going to say. I say it every time we talk about a marriage series. Spouses, if you want to be a better husband and a better wife, it's simple. Just ask. Number one, how am I doing? Number two, how can I be better? And you know what's beautiful? Most of the time, they'll tell you. Most of the time, you've already been told, just weren't listening. This time you're listening, they will tell you. And what? And, and are we angry at the answer? No, because we want to be better. It's the same thing with the law. The law tells us where we're breaking God's heart. And if we want to walk in the light, if we want to be a, like the best Christ follower, if we want to follow God the best we can, don't we want to know where we're falling short? Maybe. Maybe we don't. Ephesians chapter two says it this way. This is where we're going to kind of run two parallel passages together. He says, "As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sins, in which you used to live and follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the air, of the kingdom of the air, which is Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient." Wouldn't you want to know if you were on the wrong side of the battle? So if we put these two things together, uh, these two thoughts about light, that God is light and and he's got our best interest at heart and and that we want to walk in the light, not darkness, it means that we should desire to have the light in our lives to show us the dark places in which we're breaking God's heart. It means that we're going in for a doctor's visit and the doctor wants what's best for us and he tells us, shine the lights in the areas of your life uh, so that you can find out where the diseased areas are. Y'all, darkness cannot drive out light. But if you want the darkness out of your life, light can certainly drive out darkness. So here's your action step for this first brutal fact. It's this. Simply ask God to show you. It's the same as asking your spouse. It's just ask God, show me, God. Where, uh, where am I breaking your heart? God, show me the dark areas of my life in which we can put light on it. And here's the key. you got to listen. Get in God's word and find out where those are. Um, See, now you have the choice. You have the doctor's visit. The doctor says you're sick, and you can say, oh, man, I want to get better. Or you can say, no, (laughs) I'm not sick. John continues in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus, his son. It purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. <coughs> Excuse me. Ate some shellfish. <coughs> if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. The second brutal fact is that we're sick and we need a remedy. Ephesians says it like this, all of us also lived among uh, also lived among them at one time gratifying the the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. I, I don't like that part. We, we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of perfection. Uh, I've got a Walgreens receipt long list of sins that I have committed just this past week. I'm probably the best sinner in here, uh, and if, if you think you're the best sinner, we can have a sin-off or something. <laughs> I don't think God would be happy about that. But <clears throat> And from the very beginning, sin is what separated us from God. Adam and Eve had it great, right? And sin entered the world as this, as this disease ready to destroy our lives, ready to separate us from God. And so for us to say that we have no sin is to say that, that God is a liar. And not only that, it's deceiving ourselves, and that truth is not a part of us. We all know the person that says, uh, they're like, oh, I've got a headache, my head hurts so bad, and says, well, here, I have some ibuprofen, and they say, no, that's all right, I'll be fine. Okay, well, don't talk about your headache then anymore. (laughs) We all know the person who's got a a cough, and it's like, hey, you want some cough medicine? No, I'll be fine, (laughs) I'll be all right, it's like. Oh, you know the rest of us got to work with you, right? Or, or the person who you're at the beach with, and you're like, hey, you should put on sunscreen. And they're like, no, I have essential oils. I'll just put lime and lemon and lavender together, and I'll be fine. <laughs> it's like, okay. Look, when we... <laughs> y- y'all laughed too hard that you threw me off. I wasn't ready. Hey, I like essential oils, all right? right, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> You laughed way too hard at that one. You know, when we're sick, but we say we don't need the remedy, the headache is still going to be there. It's not going to go away. The cough's going to get worse, and, and in just a couple days, you'll be covered in aloe. Um, a, a year ago in, in May, I, I started the uh, beginning stages of, of seeing a therapist, and a couple months later, they told me that I, I had severe depression. Uh, just a couple weeks after that, I, I went to a gathering of, of a bunch of church planters, and and, and whenever I'm with other pastors, I just try not to talk, which a lot of, which, if you know me, that's a challenge. But I, I try not to talk. I just want to listen. Um, but, man, it just felt like the right place and a safe place to share scars and, and wounds. And so I, I started to open up just a little bit about the things that, that have been going on in my life and, and in our church. And, and one of the, the leaders there, he, he, said, he said these words, and, and I want you to remember these. Maybe it's not depression. Maybe it's, it's something physical. Maybe it's, it's something else, uh, forgiveness or a grudge or, or anger. But he said this, when you don't heal the initial wound, you're going to bleed all over everyone who didn't cut you. When you don't heal the initial wound, you're going to bleed all over everyone who didn't cut you. Man, I'm going to tell you, from May until about December or January of this year, I bled over a lot of people who who didn't cut me. And I, I never treated those wounds. And some people I've hurt so bad that I don't think we'll have a relationship anymore. And I didn't mean to. It wasn't intentional. And so when we don't see the disease and find the remedy... We're bleeding all over everyone who didn't come in. You're like, man, I, that, that's great. I'm sorry that you're going through that, and he's, but I'm not sick. Dad, you say that I'm not sick with greed until you drive by that homeless man. You're at the, you're at the stoplight, and you're looking at your radio so you don't have to look eyes with him. And then when you drive off, you say, man, he should have sure just got a job like the rest of us. But you're bleeding all over the kids in the back who they just learned that compassion and mercy needs to be earned and not granted. Mom, you say, I'm not sick until your patience runs thin and you snap on your children for just a little thing. You know, it teaches them that that, that's, that, that language is normal and it's going to infect their next relationships and how they decide to Love. And how they decide to parent. You, you say, I'm not sick after getting angry with our wives on the drop of a dime. And then we blame our struggles from work. You just don't know how stressful it is to have to provide for a family. Now, I'm not sick uh, with gossip. And so all of a sudden, they come to you and say, did you say this? And then you're bleeding all over everyone that, hadn't, that had trusted you. Bleed over their integrity. I'm not sick until we realize that most of our life has been lived for ourselves and very little has been geared toward God or other people. Have you want a quick inventory on whether that's you or not? Are your conversations more about you than anybody else? Do you say I and me more than you say us and we? So here's your action step for uh, needing a remedy. You just got to answer this question. Do you want to get better? And that's not, I mean, you can say, yeah, I I do want to get better. But the question really has to be answered. Do you really want to get better? 1 John chapter 2. So 1 John chapter 1 turns into 1 John chapter 2, and it says this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here's the third brutal fact is that Jesus is the remedy. Now, brutal might be the wrong word here for us, but it's not the wrong word for sin. This is a brutal confrontation for sin, that Jesus is the remedy. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, if you're reading the NIV, it says, like at the beginning, it says, we were objects of God's wrath because of our sinful nature. And then you get to verse 4, and it's this big Uh, this big contrast word. It says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Check out verse 6. Listen, don't just skip to verse 8. We all know verse 8. Look at verse 6. And God has raised us up with Christ and he seated us with, uh, with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. If that doesn't give you value, I'm not sure I can find a verse in the Bible that will in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We all know verse 8, for it is by grace that we've been saved, through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In the Gospel of John, remember, Jesus refers to himself as the light of life. Jesus is what brings us back into a right relationship with God. On the day of judgment, when God looks at us and sees sin, it is Jesus who is our advocate and our lawyer who steps in the way and says, No, 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 God, they're with us. Oh, they are. Not only that, God, but... And then God's like, you know what, instead of punishment, I'm going to seat you with Jesus above everything else. And the thing that qualifies Jesus is that he's the righteous one. He's the one who is perfect. He's the only one who can pay for the price of sin. He's the only remedy. I heard a story one time when I was out preaching about restoring, trying to raise some funds so that we could start our church, and, uh, about a, an older Marine who said, I don't need anyone else to save me. I can save myself. Look, Jesus is the only one who can save us. But not only can he save us, John tells us that he died for the sins of the whole world. He wrote something similar in John chapter 3, verse 16. So, look, if you're looking for a prescription for a fever, the obvious uh, remedy is more cowbell. Everybody knows that. Or Tylenol. But the prescription for our sin was written a long, long, long time ago, and it's Jesus. But you have to decide to take the medicine. You have to decide every day whether you're going to take the medicine or not. So here's your action step. It's to know Jesus. I want to talk about this know Jesus for just a second. 1 John, John chapter 2, verse 3 to 6, it says, We we know that we have come to know him. If you have your own Bible and you're underlining, to know, man. Underline it, circle it, whatever you got to do. Uh, come to know him if we, keep, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what, what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know Uh, that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Here's the fourth and last brutal fact. Unfortunately, it takes work. And getting over a real disease or real illness or mental illness, it takes work. You got to want to get right. or You got to want to get better. You got to take the medicine. You got to do all of the things, find the right tools. It takes work. Ephesians chapter two verse ten. It's going to end that passage. It says, "For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do." So, remember when I told you to circle that to know, or, or highlight to know, or, or whatever. It's the same word that's used in the New Testament between a husband and a wife. It's more than just physical intimacy. It's to know. It's to sacrifice. It's to put the other person in front of. It's to serve. And so when John says, uh, when John says right there in in verse 3, we have, we know that we have come to know, to sacrifice everything for him when we and if we keep his commands. So you got to know Jesus. So we need to live as Jesus did to know Jesus, to get in the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It tells us all about Jesus. Jesus teaches us compassion, what compassion and mercy looks like when, when he reinstates a tax collector, when he touches and heals a leper, when he gives life to the beggar, when he heals the blind man. Jesus teaches what patience looks like as he rebukes Peter and lives every day with Judas, knowing what is coming. Jesus teaches, teaches us what forgiveness looks like as he invites a, a thief into paradise at the very last moment. Is it easy to live like Jesus? No. Is it uh, easy to get better? No. But do you want to? Do you want to get better? Here's the action item uh, for this last thing. It's to live like Jesus. If you want to be in the light, if you Want to, to, for people to know that you are uh, living like him, then you have to live like Jesus. Um, this week was a, was a week of celebration for my family. Um, a week of, a, about nine months ago, my mom was feeling some, just some chest pain. And so she went to the doctor, and similar to the story I told you at the beginning, she goes to the doctor and just says, Doc, I'm having some chest pains. I don't know if she calls him Doc, but. You know, we'll just assume she did. And she said, "I'm just having some chest pains." And they said, "Okay, we're going to run just some normal tests. We're going to send off for blood work." And they call her the next week back for, um, for the results. And uh, we didn't really expect this call, um, but they call and said, "You know, have uh, been diagnosed with stage three breast cancer." And uh, that's, nothing like that has hit our family. Um, you know, little things here and there, and, and my, my grandparents died kind of just of old age. And but my mom is uh, she's she's fifty, and she is diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. And man, it's it's just like everyone dealt with it differently. and The way that I dealt with it was just keeping the true facts in front of us. Like your mind wanders and it and it goes down some different paths. But man, if you can bring it back and just deal with all right. Well, this is what we know. And this is what's next. And then we get to that stage, this is what we know, and this is what's next. And this is what we know, and this is what's next. And what we knew was that she had to go through months of just brutal chemotherapy. Now, Breast cancer has touched a lot of people, so a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's, it's something, man, when you call your mom on FaceTime and she doesn't have any hair. And, uh, but she's, she's kept her, her like... Spirit about her. She she orders. She's ordering these big flower hats that have sunflowers on them and these scarfs around her head. I mean, she's 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 killing it, right? And, but it's just something when you call her and, and on the days of chemo and she, she's just a shell of a person. Like she's just hardly there. She she couldn't uh, she couldn't sleep, but she couldn't stay awake. And if if you've gone through this with someone, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like she couldn't rest and could no energy. My mom is, is like 5'3 and soaking wet, like 130 pounds, and so you just watch. They had to stop treatment a couple of times with my mom because it was just taking such a toll on her heart. And, uh, man, it's, it's, it's tough. You know, it's, it's tough to see all that. This past week, we celebrated because um, about a month ago, we found out that all cancer was gone. And this past week, my mom had a double mastectomy, and so she said, "Thanks for the memories." <laughs> and she, said she let him go. "Yeah, so do we, we celebrated we're, we're so excited. And, but I, I look back, as I was thinking about the sermon, I, I looked back at my mom and, you know, not once did my mom get angry at the doctor. She didn't get mad at the doctor who came in every time to insert her with chemicals. And she didn't get mad or irritated with the nurse who had to take her vitals every week. It's like, come on, man. She didn't get angry when they said, hey, we got to stop treatment because of your heart. She, her assumption was just they had her best interest at heart. My, my mom didn't get mad at the chemo that made her sick, didn't allow her to eat. Um, she didn't get mad at the chemo that, that didn't allow her to really spend time with her kids. No, she didn't get mad at the the the, like you are pumping chemicals into your body, and she didn't get mad at them. When the doctor told her that she was sick, she didn't get mad at the diagnosis. You know what my mom got angry at? The disease. Y'all, my mom more than anything hates breast cancer, and I do too, and you should too. I mean, we should hate every kind of cancer, right? I mean, it's killing our friends and our families. It's destroying our bodies. And it's so much more with sin. I think that we should stop getting mad at God because our life hasn't panned out the way it is or because uh, a relationship got broken or, or, or because sin got involved. Let's not get mad that, that we've got to put work forward to, to look like God or, or let's not get mad that we can't do what we want to do outside the guardrails of the light. Let's do this. Let's get angry at sin. Sin is trying to destroy your marriage slowly. And little bit by little bit by little bit, Satan is in it for the end game. Satan is trying to destroy the way that your kids look at you. The way they view their heroes. And little bit by little bit by little bit, he tries to chip away at that. He tries to, he tries to uh, fill our schedule up so that we don't look at others the same way that Christ does. And he destroys our relationships with other people just a little. Like, Satan hates you and wants to kill you with sin. What if we got angry at it? Like, what if we got mad at sin? I'm not letting that into my house. My marriage will not be destroyed by someone who wants to kill us. Like, I'm going to do my best to walk in the light so my son will always have a hero and my daughter will always know how men should treat her because here's the thing i'm sick but i have the remedy and i want to get better and so we got to do our best to live like jesus hey god i'm thankful for you and and that you give you give us opportunities to walk in the light god i'm thankful You've given us a remedy, a, a cure to our sickness. Um, God, forgive us when we make this all about us and we want to create our own rules or, or when we just refuse the, the remedy. God, help us. But God, as, as we confront the facts of our, our faith and, and you bring us back to the, to the basics of it all, you are the light, and, and in you there is no darkness. God, I pray that we don't fight back, but we, we celebrate because you've also invited us into that light. I'm grateful for you, and, and I'm thankful that you love us. Um, thanks for being the example of what love is. We, we pray for all these things. In your son Jesus' name, amen.